0: Joseph and I'm Nick, and this is Fish Jelly. Wie geht es Ihnen? How are you? That's what that means, yeah. Say it
1: again. Wie geht es Ihnen? That means, how are you? Yeah. Um, Although, in, um, if you actually deconstruct the German, it's like a roundabout way to mash together what we interpret as, how are you?
0: How do you say, I want to pass into the darkness in German? <laughs> we we say we call our
1: Kaiser uh, GP and ask him to refer you.
0: <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. You returned <clears throat> from Germany yesterday. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. uh, Long flight. Well, you flew from Berlin to Helsinki, and then from there to LA. Yes. And we passed above the
1: uh, above, above Greenland. <laughs> The Arctic Circle. That shit was cold. I was so cold on that flight. Oh, but you had the road to yourself. So you were comfortable. Going and coming, yes, which was very, you know, it made all the COVID
0: restrictions a little more bearable, obviously. So we're going to make a video about your, you know, favorites from the festival and maybe not so favorites. But Mm -hmm. do you want to talk about, I know we talked last week about sort of what it was like getting oriented but, like, overall thoughts? To be
1: expected, It you know, uh, uh, we're lucky that this festival happened at all, even though cases are starting to plummet everywhere with Omicron, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, yes, it, it was actually more difficult orienting myself there than at either Cannes or Venice uh, in 2021. But that's fine. I, it was a smooth process for the most part after that. You know, they were also doing uh, theaters at 50% capacity. So once the press screenings ended, which was on Wednesday, Thursday or Friday was very hard to get tickets uh, to public screenings because that many more people are trying to get tickets because anybody can go to a public screening. Um, so hopefully next year that will be better because we're probably going to be having these uh, ticket queues around now because I think they're a good thing, but again, with more options and more seats because we won't have to be at 50% capacity. Okay. <clears throat> Is that all you have to say? No. I mean, what else do you want to know about Berlin? Do you want to know about outside of the festival circuits? Well, what do you think is interesting? (laughs) Well, you know, I often say Berlin's my favorite city. And why is that? Um, Because I like that there's, it's such a cultural hub. Um, There's so much going on there. There's so many, like, uh, interesting people from everywhere living there. It doesn't and i 've never i 've never been outside of, of Berlin, but you know going there seven times everybody 's like this isn 't like the rest of Germany. Uh, this was the first time I experienced kind of that uh, wink wink German hospitality. Uh, there were a lot of cranky Germans, let me tell you that, and maybe you know two years into the pandemic and this influx of people coming in uh, in the winter, I hear is uh, very hard on the local population, of course. Uh, somebody told me, you have to wait till the spring to kind of uh, see the Germans' uh, faces not be so droopy. But <laughs> but those are all outsiders' perspectives about it. I, b- before that, I'd never really noticed, but I, I definitely did have at least three different interactions with, uh, th- with Germans that were like, whoa, in a bad mood today. <laughs> hmm. uh, but yeah, you know, it used to be, a city that I, I kind of dreamed of living in and you know I think with COVID getting to appreciate being comfortable in LA more uh, has been important uh, and there are a lot of detractions to Berlin like the weather and I had a lot of conversations with people this year and you know it's a very sexual city it's a very uh, there's a lot of partying all night long every night in that city uh, and also something I didn't quite realize as an outsider, somebody said, you know, drugs are such a huge problem here because lots of people move here, lots of people live here, and they live off the state, and so they have nothing to do. And uh, so that leads to a lot of like mental health and drug issues, especially during the pandemic. And I think for the first time this year, that seemed very obvious to me uh, that there were a lot of uh, issues that were evidence in places that I used to go that... I had no indication of that. Uh, One one such thing was uh, G. Uh, Everywhere I I went outside of the festival circuit uh, in in the gay scene, I was offered that uh, online, in person, which kind of shocked me because I I don't, I really didn't know anything about it, so I was reading up on it. But yeah, you could look around bars, and people were just doing that, uh, which is really dangerous. Uh, And and I I was reading that that's become a more favorable because it's cheaper than the other kind of party drugs. Okay. But I don't know, to me that it, it was, I, I, it was kind of sad for me. I thought to see that, uh, beyond that, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, you, you, we had, I, the press had to, only the press had to get tested as I had said in our video for COVID every day, which is, Good, because there was a relief after it, but there was, you know, a 20 to 30 minute period every day where it was like, ooh. Because uh, you we were also, out of, I, I want to say, in Hollywood Reporter Variety, Berlin provided the statistics of the, like, over 10,000 tests they performed over the festival. I think only 120-something came back positive. Oh. So, you know, those are pretty good statistics, but it, most, we were kind of in a bubble. Because compared to... Well, not really,
0: because you were running your ass around doing everything else, so it doesn't really... It only sort of puts a pin in it if you get a test positive. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah. What an interesting. Cause, but
1: we were read you know, there were people that showed up the very first day and came in positive and then were stuck.
0: Yeah, what an interesting. I almost feel like it should be like the Olympics. Like it's just a bubble. Like there's, like, you stay in a certain area and you're not supposed to leave and only people who are there. But that seems like a big. That seems like a lot of effort to watch some movies that you could watch at home. So I, I kind of feel like I but don't you, even understand why we have... But you, you can't watch... The, the festival itself is not making, giving you the ability to watch them at home. No, but I'm saying it, it seems like during this time where there's, you know... Something happening that would maybe dictate we shouldn't have people gathering in crowds... That you could very easily do from home, like watch a movie... It seems odd that, like, these festivals are still trying so hard to push through. Granted, I know that there's sort of an economic impact to it, but... There is. It means a lot to the culture of the city. And,
1: you know, it, it's crippling if they don't go on. Um, you know, it, it was pretty bad for Cannes that it had to skip a year. Berlin. Uh You know, who had never skipped a year was Venice. Even in 2020, they had their festival.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, don't, I I don't know enough to... Really, sort of analyze why these things shouldn't shouldn't happen. Except that it seems like watching movies is something a person could easily do virtually. You,
1: you know, it feels like a, a kick in the ass. It's it's you know, as in every institution everywhere, it's very hierarchical. So there were uh, people writing for the trades that were getting shown these movies here in L.A. Like a lot of the a lot of these people. Uh,
0: well, that's I, what I mean. I, I, I
1: won't say stories because there were some, um, but there were some critics that I know from you know bigger places than what I write for that were very upset that they were getting titles taken away from them by people that stayed in their own cities. And it's like, well, I traveled here to see this, so I'm covering it. <laughs> like you can't just watch this
0: back at home. You know, there there's some. No, but I guess I would like to know the rationale for why. Berlin couldn't just provide screeners to press and Allow people to purchase digital passes to watch these screenings virtually Versus all of the resources required just so that people can gather at 50% capacity It just seems like a lot of effort beyond But but that's me not taking into account the economic impact of like all the people traveling to the city and the Mm -hmm. hotels and the shitty restaurants that make money, but Yeah, it it just seems like a very interesting thing that, you know, is sort of forced to happen because it doesn't have to happen versus, you know, people gathering for, like, music festivals or other things where it makes sense that, like, people want to gather and it's either you do or you don't. Like, a choice needs to be made. But with watching movies... Sure, but I, I, you know, there. When we talk about watching movies
1: where, because of the pandemic, watching things at home has become the norm, but it's really not the best way to watch a piece of art, which to me is what cinema is.
0: Sure. I mean...
1: You really don't get the same kind of immersive experience. And um, I was very... Yeah, but if
0: you're watching film to like critique it, I don't know that you're supposed to enjoy it in the same way as like, the audience, right? Sure. I mean, that's kind of like... To me, that's the same attitude of, like, people who work in customer service and then they don't like when customers are rude and they can't sort of... It's it's just like you have to get past that to do your job. And if the job is to watch a movie and transport yourself there, you shouldn't need, like, the extra assistance. Like, if, if I'm willing to watch a movie virtually to review it, then I need to put myself in the correct head Which, of course, I'm not saying you don't do that. I'm just saying, even for myself, as someone who's not a film critic, it just seems like, well... Well, you kind of are. I mean, I'm kind of a big deal, but whatever. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not trying to say all that. But the thing, you know... But I just... It's just interesting to me that people are putting a lot of energy and resources into doing things that don't need to be done, per se. But again, I'm not taking into account... The sort of cultural impact and like if something like Berlin said like I guess we're gonna go digital would that I mean would that be the end of the festival Well, they did last year they didn't right but if but but if they had to do it like Two another years. year in three years would would that cripple the festival such that we would never have it back and how big of a part of that is how big of a part is the festival to the city you know To you, it's like means the world, but in in practicality, it might not mean anything. It it might have no economic impact to to speak of. You know, you don't know what other things happen throughout the year in Berlin. So that's all I'm saying is that you know I don't know enough to say like actually when we think about the overall economy in Berlin annually, this festival only contributes like point three (laughs) percent. So it's like it seems stupid to put all these people at risk and waste all these resources. But if it's closer to you know, a double-digit number. Well, I don't know. But that that's it, pretty significant. But. but
1: but there's something above uh, more than money uh, too. That this is saying that, that is stating to the world that this is a, an important event where you are crippling it, the ripple effect goes beyond the city of Berlin. Is all, all these artists and this platform that it affords
0: them to be able to because. You're right, but I guess my question is balancing out that with, like, public health and safety. So I'm not implying that the Berlin Film Festival is not import, doesn't have impact. What I'm saying is that at what point do we say, like, does this really need to happen versus, like, you know, there is this virus floating around that's making people sick, and it's caused us to sort of shut down generally. So it's just interesting how, like, certain things have to go on. Well, But they- but then other things, but, but then the process, like... If you're going to put people through all this stress of like getting tested and like getting on an airplane and it, it, it's like, does this even make sense? Does this even make sense? Like if, if we have to do all of that, then I don't want it. You know, like. Maybe, well, and
1: a lot of people didn't go. It was, it felt uh, kind of abandoned. Because to
0: me, it's like, well, it doesn't make sense. If I have to go through all of this and be stressed out and like you went on about how you were like, like the nuisance of doing this and that. It's like, well, then, then maybe this shouldn't be happening right now. And maybe we should make it so that it's more comfortable and people can be in the correct headspace because you know it's like well you're saying certain things certain pieces of art need to be watched in a the theater but it's also like well okay sure but then if getting to that theater requires all this stress and strife it's like well that's also taking away from the experience if everyone's angry and mad and frustrated because they have to do all this shit so i'm i don't give a fuck either way like people can gonna do what they want to do i don't want to do it but it's just interesting that like where we put resources and how we prioritize certain things. But then, you know, we, we can make these things happen, but we can't keep kids safe in school or better yet. We can't keep teachers safe in the school. Like we can't keep teachers from getting exposed, right? We can't, people don't want to force be forced to have their children wear masks, but somehow we can get people to fly across the world and see a festival and make that safe. Like, So good job to the festival for having such low numbers or even like that fucking gay cruise I went on Mm -hmm. where everyone was like inside of each other and somehow there are only five cases with 6,000
1: people. Well, that's another instance, too, where, you know, they weren't a bubble either because you dock and people
0: get off. And and I feel the same about that, except that that's (laughs) something that has to happen in person. Like there's no virtual option to go on this cruise and visit these places and be around these people, which is what everyone wants. So, again, it's a choice that's made. So I think you choosing to go is fine. It was available to you. That's not the issue. The issue is just more like... You know what it really says? Is that when people are willing, even begrudgingly, to sort of follow a protocol, Mm -hmm. things can be pretty safe.
1: Yeah. But it's
0: like when... So, like, the gay crews, even though everyone was doing all this shit outside of what they were told to do, it's like, for the most part, people were vaccinated and wearing masks and you know at least around staff to keep those people safe and and then you think like when it when it comes to just like general public people don't want to do right everyone has every reason why they don't want to do what the fuck they were asked to do so you know one another perspective could be that festivals like what just happened are a good example of like if people just do what they're asked to do things can go on in a safe way (laughs) Like, just fucking listen. And it's not that big of a deal. Like, just wear the damn mask. Even if it seems arbitrary that, well, you were out at bars and, you know, doing God knows what with all these random people. And it's like, without a mask on and you were fine. So, it seems arbitrary that, oh, but then for the 90 minutes to two hours that I have to wear a mask in a theater, it kind of seems like whatever. But something's working. Mm -hmm. So, it's just interesting. But... We can move on uh, to RuPaul's Drag Race <laughs> segue. Mm-hmm. Season 14, episode 7. Um, it was called The Daytona Wind. This was an acting challenge. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought it was one of the better, if not the best written... Every time you hit that... It just the, one of the best acting challenges that's been written. Mm-hmm. What did you think about that one?
1: Yeah, I did, but it's because of the editing.
0: Sure. So so the challenge was to do like like the remaining queens acted in like an 80s soap opera type thing called the Daytona Wind. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even recognize this until what you mentioned, the final editing, that every all of the lines of dialogue, even the name of the fake show, is alluding to flatulence. Mm-hmm. So when we finally see the fully edited video of all the queens acting... There's just a lot of farting that's inserted. But I can't believe that listening to them recite these lines that it didn't occur to me like, oh, everything they're saying revolves around like someone passing gas. It does, but, <laughs> but whenever we
1: watch them rehearse, none of that makes sense because true, it's true. all chopped up. So all of the dialogue is always, you know, it's, it comes across worse than it is.
0: So what are some thoughts? Uh, so Diabety... Has become increasingly annoying. Yeah. Unfortunately. Which, I hate to say it, but she was in the top two with Lady Camden. Yeah. And I felt like, I I can't deny that she didn't deserve, like she did deserve to be in the top. She did do a good job. She did. And her runway outfit, I know you didn't care for it. I didn't care for it on her Maybe that's it, but but you know, you I feel like I can't judge. Like I thought the outfit was actually really cool, and the construction of it was cool. I just think it would look would have looked better on a, a different body, like Catherine it, Zeta Jones. It would have looked better on someone much more curvy, like um, Deja Sky. Oh, I think okay. that shit would have looked amazing on her, sure. or someone who has like fashion body, mm-hmm. like uh, what's her name, Willow Pill.
1: Okay, I feel
0: like it would look better on either someone that's more plus size and curvy, or would look better on like a sort of model shape. But then diabetes is just a big old man in this outfit. <laughs> so, so it just didn't work for me. But I, but I did think the outfit itself was cool. And he did a great job on the acting challenge. Lady Camden, who at the beginning of the episode says, like, I went to acting school. Mm-hmm. I don't want to jinx myself, but I did go to acting school. I thought she did a really, really good job. And her performance was the only one that seemed like Acting. Acting. Mm -hmm. Like, you did a good job. (laughs) And I I think he's really, he seems like a really sweet person. Mm -hmm. And he's actually, I can't can't believe I'm saying this on record because I'll be held to it. But next Friday at Precinct is Y2K. Mm -hmm. And the queen is Lady Camden. Okay. And I feel like, I really like Lady Camden. I think he's really cute and like, with his big ass chin and nose and no lips that RuPaul told him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he needs to make a bigger lift. Um, But yeah, I just, and I thought he was really cute. So the runway theme was dot, no. What dot, was the runway dots. theme? Dots. It was, no. Dot, dot, dot. It was chaps on the runway. Chaps on the runway. Was it? It was. Because. Oh, dots is. Dots is, yeah. You, yeah, we'll get to that one. So the runway theme was chaps on the runway. And I thought everyone looked good for the most part. But Lady Camden comes out and sort of like dressed more like a lady with big flowy hair and sort of like a big skirt moment and then she falls on the stage mm-hmm. and it looks real mm-hmm. and everyone's like, oh my God, are you okay? And when she gets like her wig flew off and <laughs> her, her, the bottom of her outfit fell off and then when she gets up, she slicks like this shorter wig back mm-hmm. and she has a mustache on. I think on. that's
1: her real hair, isn't it? Or is that a wig? Is it? No, her real hair is curly. No.
0: Oh. Um, And and then we see her face and she's dressed up as Freddie Mercury. Mm -hmm. And I thought he looked so cute as Freddie Mercury and then the way he's moving because he's a ballet dancer. Then they have to lip sync and they lip sync to One Way or Another by Blondie. And I mean, Diabetti didn't stand a chance. No. Because Lady Camden can move, obviously. And he even said like, oh, like this is my fucking song. So you could tell that he really like was feeling the song so um something that has not happened before i don't think is there was no bottom there were no bottom two everyone did really well in the challenge i thought deja sky he met he forced that southern
1: accent on her which she wasn't prepared to do and i think that that immediately affected
0: her rehearsal you know that's a good point i think sort of being forced to have this accent that he wasn't prepared to do. Had he just done whatever voice made sense yes, to him, yes. it probably would have worked better than trying to do a Southern accent, which he sort of fell in and out of. Yes. So the for the first time I can recall, uh, no one was in the bottom, so the top two lip sank. Lady Camden won. So it was kind of like an all-star situation. Um, T.S. Madison was a guest judge again. Mm-hmm. Um, who I like. I, I think she's funny. Yeah, of course. Although... I feel like she, the way she gets gussied up to be on the judges panel <laughs> is not her best. Because she's actually featured in the Daytona Win skit as mm-hmm. like a officiating a wedding. And I thought she looked great. Mm-hmm. But she looked like how she normally does. Like a normal looking wig and a flowy outfit. But then they had her like, <laughs> she looked crazy. Well, who is she trying to look like? Uh, I Dream of Jeannie. Yes. She's trying to look like Barbara Eden, right? Barbara Eden. Okay, moving on to UK uh, versus the world. It was episode three. It was called West End Wendy's. Mm-hmm. And basically the queens sort of did like a rusical where each of them are playing like a version of a notable like musical actress. So you have like Tracy Turnblad from Hairspray. You have... Um, the and Annie. You have the lady from Sound of Music. You have... Um, Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews. You have like a a combination of like Dorothy and uh, Toto the dog. You have Liza Minnelli. And then you have Meryl Streep. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought everyone did a pretty good job. Yeah. Jimbo fakes like a neck injury.
1: That's real bizarre. Which really
0: fucked him up because then the choreographer was like... Which I think is actually really smart of the choreographer. Like, oh, so... You hurt your knee, you can't do this? Well, let's make this choreography fucking kindergarten level so then you just look crazy on stage. Mm-hmm. Is that what you want? You don't want to do anything? Fine. Then you'll just do a little two-step and mm-hmm. look crazy while your competitors are out here twirling and dancing. So I actually thought that that choreographer dumbing down the choreography was smart and obviously didn't work out for Jimbo because Jimbo ended up in the bottom with Jujube. And then we find out in this episode that, so in episode two, Juju, uh, Jimbo makes an alliance with both of the top queens. The bottom queens. The bottom queens, basically saying like, if, if I save you, will you save me? And he says this to Jujubi, who was in the bottom, and Jujubi says, yes, of course. But then we find out in this episode that the lipstick Ju- Jimbo had in his hand was for Jujubi. So, of course, he seems shady. And all the queens are like, wow. Well, even the confrontation was real awkward. You know, I, I just saw Jimbo was at Precinct today for Drag Brunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the per- people were writing, like, how sweet and nice he is. And I'm sure he is. But I just think on his season of Drag Race and then this All Stars, he just comes across like an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like, he's very self-absorbed and he'll just say anything. He seems very fake yeah even the whole crying situation when he was eliminated so he was eliminated this episode (laughs) um the winner is pangina so in the top are pangina and janie Mm jacay pangina was little orphan annie and janie jacay was meryl streep Mm -hmm. and they both did a phenomenal job but the lip sync the song was to we like to party the venga bus by the venga boys Mm -hmm. (laughs) i thought pangina did an excellent job so she chooses Jimbo to go home. So of course on the main stage, Jimbo's crying and you know, telling everyone they love he loves them. And then when he gets back to the mirror. Well, I'm what did you he's say? He's like I'm pissed. Yeah. And, and then he writes a message about how Pangina's stupid. And so it's like he is I think that person has mental health issues. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I think I'm glad to see him go. I think Juju B shouldn't even be on this season. Jujubee... Jujubee's had four chances to win a drag race and hasn't. But strangely, has not elevated anything. Well, I shouldn't say four. He's had four chances, and three of those chances he wasn't able to succeed. And he hasn't elevated anything. In fact, I think his drag has become more raggedy. That wig that he wore in this challenge,
1: like... (laughs) Oh, this was
0: the dot, dot, dot challenge. I think everyone came out looking like at a level that seems appropriate for an all-star and then juju becomes out wearing what looks like a five dollar dress over some three dollar tights with like plastic snake blow-up snakes glued to it Mm -hmm. and then this wig that looked like it looked like if you went to party city it'd be like the ones that are like ten dollars more than the cheapest ones and then she had on these like latex like those patent leather super high platform heels that just I don't know. One of the judges thought they were so cool. I thought those were so cool. And then I,
1: fe- I read that as they were searching to find a way to compliment
0: something. Oh, that's probably what was <laughs> happening. But we can move on because I think we might run out of time a little bit. But um, let's get to you're reading a couple of books. What are those? Oh, well, I finished I
1: finally finished Geek Love by Catherine Dunn uh, while in Berlin. And I, there was something I took I took a break from it to read a couple other things because it's very compelling and also strangely distressing. Uh, and I found the end very moving, <laughs> strangely. Uh, did I br- bring this up to you before about uh, this family of, like, a carnival sideshow where these parents experimented on themselves to ex- to give birth to freaks, if you will, that they could show off in a sideshow? So that sounds familiar. They have all these, like, incredibly deformed children that, and it, one of them ends up being kind of like a religious cult leader, and the story is being narrated by the least talented. Think of, like, the pretty monster. Uh, The least talented of the group, which is this albino hunchback dwarf named Olympia. And uh, it is pretty fascinating and pretty... I cannot believe it's not a film. I cannot believe somebody didn't make it to a film. But I I think I read when I started reading it that uh, Warner Brothers bought the rights indefinitely for the Wachowski siblings. Oh. But I don't think that this is anything a studio could make because it's very adult. There are lots of... Bizarre sexual things that happen. Uh, it's very creepy. I, you know, granted, Guillermo del Toro did a great rehash of Nightmare Alley, but I, I, I can't see a studio being able to correctly make Geek Love.
0: And uh, the other book,
1: uh, Woman of the Dunes, which I'd hoped to finish today. I don't know that I'll have time now, but uh, I was reading it alongside of a friend, and we were going to discuss it uh, by Kobo Kobo Abe Kobo Abe. Uh, at, It's, of course, made into a terrific film version by uh, uh, Tesha Gahari, Woman of the Dunes. Excellent. Like, very creepy, weird uh, two-hander, but
0: uh, I'm looking forward to you watching that one day. Okay, last thought. We received a couple of comments about, like, which seems so random, and I don't know if this is, like, I'm not quite sure if this is, like, people being funny or, like, I don't know what the intention is of this, but asking us like, what kind of desserts do we like? Or I don't know if they're trying to send us desserts, but do you have thoughts on like, or I know a better way to approach this. Why don't I say what I think you really like and you say what I really like?
1: Like legitimately for dessert? Uh-huh. Well, you like cake. Yeah. Cake, cake, all kinds of cake. Uh, chocolate cake is a go-to.
0: I don't like, yes, you're correct. But I, I mean, don't, you can't go wrong usually, but not like. Uh, uh, nothing with like fruit in it. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want some fucking white cake with like that fucking whipped cream filling with the strawberries in it. and No. Strawberry shortcake? <laughs> or like that cheap cake you get from the Panaderia that's like. With little pieces of fruit and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's just trash, but... Oh, well, I mean... <laughs> don't offend the entire culture, but... <laughs> well, that's not good. I just don't... Well, the, the frosting is cheap, and yes. then it's like... The fruit seems like it's out of a can. I don't It's, it's not quality, come on. No. I, if it were real whipped cream with, like, fresh strawberries, I still wouldn't... That still wouldn't be my first choice, but I would like it. Better. Well, that's a whole different dessert right there. For you... Well, I feel like you like so many things... Okay, the thing I'll say about you before, well, how do I Nick when he eats something sweet has to have milk. Yeah, I like which that. Which for some reason drives me crazy. I don't know why it's so unreasonable, but I get such an attitude when you do that. But <laughs> but um you yeah, you like a lot of things. Um probably beyond baked goods, I would say you really like gummies. Yes. So Nick likes gummies. Nick likes things to shoot in his mouth, like gusher. Oh boy. Well it's true. You do. You like things that make your lips pucker? I do. You've seen me like sour things. Yeah. You just don't like re- Nick doesn't like regular gummies. You know, um, was it Haribo used to make these? Oh god. Oh, I should have added that to the Walid's pita chips. <laughs> The fucking focaccia, or if you mention gummy bears, Nick is going to talk about Haribo made a brand of gummy bears that said they had 30% more juice. Somehow, yes, and you could tell. And I will admit that, so you bought a bag. Oh, I bought several. And I tried them, and they, they were juicier. Mm-hmm. And that was years ago. <laughs> and every time you see, you still go like, man, I wish.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, and as I'm sitting here, we have a bag of German Haribo Gummy bears on the counter. That's the only (laughs) brand of gummy that you'll buy, like, plain. Yeah. But if it's anything else, it has to have... Like, it has to shoot in your mouth or be sour or have something to it that's different. But you seem to like that. uh, You will respond well to that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, what are those uh, matcha Kit Kats? Oh, sure. Yeah. Anyway, um, so that's that. Okay, moving on to film's released we didn't cover... Uh, there are quite a few. The Cursed.
1: Oh, okay. I wish we had... Again, I was in Berlin. We didn't have time to watch this, but I wish we had made time for this. This <laughs> was this was uh, Sundance 2021 film? What year is it now? Yeah, this was a year ago, Sundance. Uh, it's a Sean Ellis movie. It's a werewolf movie. Uh, I hate its new title. It was originally called Eight for Silver or something, okay. uh, which was much more enigmatic, but obviously makes sense when you watch the film. Um, Pretty decent, uh, not perfect by any means, but more, much more interesting than the title, The Cursed, suggests. Dog. Channing Tatum, I, I think he directed it, a movie called Dog. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, Uncharted. Uncharted is that Mark Wahlberg, Tom Holland movie. I had zero interest had, in that. Yeah, it's and fair. I saw the commercials. Same. A Banquet. Uh, it's a horror movie about a mother and daughter we didn't watch. Ted K. I'm assuming that's Ted Kennedy. Ted Kaczynski. Okay. Oh. Ted Kennedy. <laughs> Ted. K- what, is it, what did RuPaul say on this last episode? Like, whatever you do, don't mention Chappaquiddick. Yeah, uh, whatever you do, don't mention Chappaquiddick. Uh, uh, yes. Ted K., which I think was Berlin. That might have been Berlin 2021. Uh, and I, I missed because they, they didn't give me a screen for that. And uh, again, it, it came out during a period I was gone.
0: And then Strawberry Mansion.
1: Uh, I saw this Sundance 2020. Uh, very bizarre. Kentucky oddly is in it. It's a bizarre candy colored
0: weirdo film uh, that's worth a look. But uh, ultimately kind of like cotton candy. And lastly, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I watched because I was chatting with a few people who had mentioned that they were excited to watch it. And I thought they were talking about when was the previous Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake? With Jessica Biel yeah. in like 2003 or something. So the first person to mentioned it to me, I thought they meant like, because it's like, oh, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm going to watch the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. So I thought they meant that one. Mm-hmm. And then I had said like, oh, I don't recall whether or not I liked it. And the person's like, well, it just came out. Like, you, you already saw it. And that, that is the moment I realized, oh, there's a new one I didn't even know. So I watched it. It was Garbage Mama. It was garbage. <clears throat> that story is so stupid. <laughs> There's some notable people in there. Jacob Lattimore from uh, The Shy. The, the new one? Yeah. I didn't recognize anyone in there.
1: Oh, well, he's in that. And so is... Alex so he's
0: the main character then, the black guy. Donald. Yeah, Dante's the main guy. Oh, that's Jacob well, Lattimore. Well, he's one of the main people. So I did not watch this. You didn't, but can I just tell the very in like 30 seconds, Dante plays like a famous chef, I think, and he, along with his like business partner and then like his girlfriend and some other lady... They are driving in their Tesla, and driving a Tesla is an important plot point to Harlow, which is the site of the initial massacre fifty years ago, mm-hmm. which is referenced in the opening of the film. Not unlike the original film, talks about how there was this massacre. Mm-hmm. So they're driving to Harlow because they're about to like auction off this property to to essentially like I think they even use the words like to gentrify the area. <laughs> so they're trying to like update this area modernize it and of course all the ubiquitous like they have a run-in with a yokel who warns them about the area and they get there and it's there's a lot of heavy-handed messaging about racism and it it, then they get to the little area and the black guy sees the confederate flag is like oh no this needs to be taken down right now and he like walks up there he assumes it's empty because he's there to auction everything off. So he he uh, he, he feels comf- comfortable walking in knowing no one is there. And when he gets in there, there's a little old lady in there. And she's like, what are y'all doing? This is my place. I have the papers. Um, And they're like, no, you shouldn't be here. They kick her out. Mm-hmm. And while they're taking her away to like jail, she has a heart attack and dies. And we find out that's the mom of Leatherface. Which is confusing to me Cause wouldn't she be real old? I was very confused by the timing because they keep saying 50 years ago. So is Leatherface like in his 70s? And then it's like, how old's his damn mama? But I don't know. I'm confused. And honestly, it was so bad and pay full attention. But that's the basic story. So then Leatherface is, is on a killing spree and literally kills everyone except one of the ladies. So two of the ladies are able to escape and they're in their Tesla driving down the road, and Leatherface gets the one, kills her, and the other one's, like, in the back seat. And because, you know, Tesla's had that autopilot shit, she's able to continue down the road on autopilot. Like, <laughs> And then an after-credits scene is Leatherface walking back to his little house. Or the, or the little, like, his original little house. The end. That shit was whack. I, I, I don't understand. Like, we were talking... If the director or the writers have a reverie for the original material, then why not do something, like, different? Why not call it TCM and make it about a character that isn't Leatherface but someone who's doing something similar? And modern, you know, you want to set it in modern time, which doesn't make sense. Because another character is the sheriff who was part of that original thing 50 years prior. Mm -hmm. Which also means this lady would be, like, in her late 60s. -hmm. And she's still the sheriff. But she survived the attack. And when she realizes, like, the Leatherface is out here, she decides she has to kill him. Which I was so confused by. Like, why didn't... Like, so all this time, she just didn't look for his ass? But either way, it, it sounds like when you described um, the Scream 5 or how we watched the Halloween movie, like, it, I don't need this. We don't need to revisit this shit so many years later and bring back these characters to make them fit into something that just seems like y'all are so stupid.
1: Yeah, I think we just need to move beyond this franchising and write an original story that is maybe an homage or inspired by, but do something new. Right. I, did, I think I cap, saw a headline about this director, David Blue Garcia, okay. who was uh, hired, I think after production started. I, I think somebody was fired from this originally. But there are a lot of notable people. Elsie um, Fisher from 8th Grade. Um, John Larroquette is listed as the narrator. Oh!
0: Oh shit!
1: Okay. Um. And who was Alice Creage? She's a favorite of mine.
0: Let me see her picture. You know Alice Creage? She played the witch in. Oh, she's the oh they they put oh that's her. They put her in like old lady makeup kind of. She's the old lady who has the heart attack and dies. She's Leatherface's mother.
1: Oh, I love Alice Creage.
0: But I don't. You know now I feel that's her. I didn't. Oh, from Gretel and Hansel. Yes, as I just said, the witch. Oh, I didn't hear that. Okay, so, wow. Yeah, they put some sort of... Well, maybe that is her I mean, reason. we're always saying lines of dialogue from sleepwalkers. That's true. <laughs> um, I didn't recognize her. I'm found Charles. Yeah. Now I feel stupid because now I don't know if like she's supposed to be like his foster mom. But even that seems like the timing would be off. Because that lady didn't look that old. She looks like she would be the same age as Leatherface. Yeah. So that plot point I'm a little confused by. But anyway, yeah, I don't know why people don't just... Like, why not just do something inspired by it that is more modern? This shit was so corny and the the writing, some of the things these people say and the one girl who makes it to the end. Like, she seems... You know, the other thing is making these, like, protagonists somewhat unlikable. So then it's like, well, good. they He fucking saw Joe ass in half. Like, you're kind of a annoying person. Like... <laughs> And then why do I, why am I made to feel kind of, I don't feel bad for Leatherface, but it's just like, well, they did come into his house and yank his mama out. And, so I guess. Yeah, but
1: still it doesn't.
0: No, of course. But anyway, moving on to movies we watch for fun. Uh, Michael Collins. You watched this on the airplane headed to Berlin. Berlin.
1: Uh, that is a Golden Lion winner directed by Neil Labute. <clears throat> about the Irish rebel, played by Liam Neeson. It's 1996, um, and of course Stephen Ray, uh, Neil Jordan's usual muses in it. I remember at the time there being um, issue with Julie Roberts' cast as Liam Neeson's Irish love interest.
0: I'm not familiar with this movie. I don't, what is it about?
1: Uh, it's uh, about the man that organized the growing rebellion against the British in okay. Ireland. Uh, and Julia Roberts is in it. Julia Roberts oh. is his uh, girlfriend. I believe her name was Kitty. <laughs> she does feel way out of place. It Kitty, was... Kitty, uh...
0: What's a common Irish surname? Like, O... O'Reilly or O'Brien o- o- or... Yeah, o- 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 O'Reilly. That's o- what I was thinking. Kitty
1: of. O'Shaughnessy. Yeah. Uh, which reminded me that I think also... O'Flanagan? O'Flanagan, yeah. O'Flanagan's... So, okay. Uh, any... Or there's a book by Stephen Crane called Kitty, A Girl of the Streets about a prostitute. Uh... <laughs> And uh, is that Stephen Crane? Anyway, uh, what was this? It is, was a little dry. It's just funny. We had watched another new recent Liam Neeson movie. I wonder if he had worked on it at some point because looking at him in the 90s, because it's been a while since I've watched his 90s films, it looked
0: drastically changed. I do think Liam Neeson, is, Liam Neeson is, I'm thinking of Gavin Newsom, who I also think is attractive. Liam Neeson mm-hmm. I think is attractive. Yeah. I, he has funny hands, though. I don't like his fingernails, but. Oh. Um, I guess I've never noticed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I pay attention to fingernails. And,
1: anyway, um, Julie Roberts that same year had other dubious accent work. I remember in the movie Mary Riley. <laughs> Do you remember Mary Riley? No. Oh, I want to rewatch it uh, with John Malkovich and Glenn Close. And it's basically a Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde story told from the perspective of his handmaid. <laughs> Oh, interesting. But I remember people clocking her on that. Anyway, so yeah, Michael Collins, I finally caught up
0: with. I watched Line Sisters, which is a lifetime movie. I was, yeah. Uh, Which I saw ads for because it has, what's her name? It has um, Latoya Luckett. Yes. Who we know from... Greenleaf. uh, Well, Greenleaf, but also she was an original member of Destiny's Child. Yes. And then she has, um, she has, she has some, you know, R&B hits, um... But it's basically about these four women who pledge, like, some sorority. And in the opening of the film, these women play their younger selves, which is pretty funny. Mm -hmm. Like, because these women look like they're in their, like, early 40s. (laughs) And they're playing college students. What's the other series that does that, too,
1: with Brandy? Uh,
0: oh, yes. Where they
1: play themselves in the 90s versions.
0: Well, Brandy and the Latina... Queens? La- que- 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 Is that what it's called? Queens? Ah, uh, shit. We watched not. several episodes of it. Yeah, that was okay. It was okay. I think Brandy and um, the Latina lady, it, like, they hold up better. But the other... Well, Eve, too. I think Eve looks good. Oh, yeah.
1: Eve looks great. Um, but,
0: yeah, it's... Yeah, Queens. Queens. Yeah, they do something like that, but it looks real crunchy. Um, But anyway, they pledge this sorority, and one of... So there are five girls originally, and one of the girls gets, like, whatever. She she doesn't make it because they find out she lied about her mom being a sorority member. So, fast forward 20 years, and these girls are all at, like, some national sorority thing where all the different sororities show up for, like, a weekend of big fun. And it's very much like it's kind of like, I know what you did last summer, scream, like there's some killer stalking them and we find out, it's so obvious that it's the girl who got kicked from the kicked out from the sorority who's doing this. Mm-hmm. But the production quality, I mean, it's just as bad as single black female and probably less entertaining because the ridiculousness is spread across so many characters versus with single black female, it was just like the... Like, the two, plus K. Michelle. But anyway, you watched Full Metal Jacket.
1: You know, I hadn't seen this since a kid. The Flight Back, I watched. I was reading and I watched this. Uh, Stanley Kubrick, 1987. Have you seen it? No. You're familiar with it, though.
0: I've seen... I can picture the movie poster. Okay. Um, I
1: think I saw it... It's about, like,
0: war, right? Vietnam, Vietnam, Yes.
1: Yeah, it's about uh, one uh, battalion's going through the Marine Corps together and then uh, segue into... Vietnam. Uh but uh, you know I remember my dad watching this as a kid and I there are I haven't revisited it since then because I, I remember thinking it was kind of traumatizing and it is it's funny what rewatching some scenes that were very much in my mind um as an adult uh like the Vincent D'Onofrio uh where he he shoots Lee Ermey cuz he's driven him you know to the edge in training. Uh, the soundtrack I didn't remember how kind of fantastic and eerie the soundtrack is um, and maybe that's maybe I have weird reactions to things like Wooly Bully and um, I, forget, I forget another song maybe like Not Painted Black or the Nancy Sinatra because I have so many other references to pull from because they've been used so many other places but there are there are songs in that where i Yeah, that gave me weird feelings. Uh, But it's very disturbing. Uh, I will say, watching it as an adult, I really didn't like Matthew Modine's um, omniscient narration. It felt very. Is Matthew
0: Modine the guy from um, 47 Meters Down? I can't believe that's your reference for him. But yes, he was big in the. Is he in that movie? He is. Okay, well then. (laughs) Um,
1: (sighs) Vision Quest, all kinds of. I I, I had Vision Quest on one night during the pandemic. I don't recall. With Linda Fiorentino and Madonna's. that was before she, cut, that was just as, the, uh, she was on the cusp of making it big. No, I don't recall. Anyway, uh, yeah, I didn't like his voiceover narration. But yeah, it, it's pretty
0: gritty. Moving on to projects of interest. I watched the trailer for the Elvis movie by Baz Luhrmann. I'm so tired of Baz Luhrmann, but yeah. Oh, it just occurred to me <clears throat> after you hearing you say you're tired of him, he did Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea who Baz Luhrmann was, but I I just saw Baz Luhrmann has an Elvis movie and the trailer's available, mm-hmm. so I watched it, and I have to say it did pique my interest. Yeah, it looks sure. kind of dark, and then there are scenes of him, like I think they're trying to sort of uh, inject like the influence of like um, like soul music and black artistry that, of course, many people say he ripped off. Yeah. So there are scenes of him in like a black church and what looks like him getting the Holy Ghost. And I like the way it was shot. But now that I realize it's Ivan, Re- no, not Ivan Reitman, Baz, Baz Lerman. Lerman. Um. Well, and I'm still interested because yeah. I wonder if they'll make it like a musical or I don't
1: know. I'm sure To You know, to me, like my, we grew up watching Kurt Russell play uh, uh, Elvis in the John Carpenter television movie with Shelly Winters' and his mom which probably is my favorite rendition of Elvis. Uh, Notably, I remember this is what Tom Hanks got COVID on. This film? Yeah, when filming in Australia. Oh. Way way back when, in 2020. Uh, I don't... The guy playing Elvis is a newcomer. I'm forgetting his
0: name. Uh, He looks... I mean, he kind of has a look to him that's kind of intriguing. Sure. that caught my attention. This is
1: Baz Luhrmann's first film since The Great Gatsby. Which I haven't seen. Which is not a good version of that. Uh, but he did do The Get Down for
0: Netflix, which I still haven't seen. With... Um, with Yolanda Ross. She's in The Get Down? Yes. Oh, the TV show. Yes. Oh, yes, because that TV show has a soundtrack that's actually quite good. Yes. And there's a song uh, by Christina Aguilera on that soundtrack called Telepathy that I really like. Um, um, just, and they're just like there's a song
1: by Fergie on Great Gatsby's soundtrack that's fun. The little party never, never heard hurt nobody <laughs> okay, um, and also of note um, that reminds me Alice Walker wrote a short story I'm forgetting the title of it is it hound dog which is told from the story of this black woman who wrote or she wrote hound dog and that was uh, Elvis stole it from her but she oh. talks about this handsome singer coming to like give her a
0: fistful of cash I think and run away with her song oh Okay, we have to keep, we're probably going to have to pause this and keep it going. So, uh, Francois Ozone has a new project?
1: Well, he remade The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant as Peter von Kant, which opened Berlin, which I'll talk more about in our video we make. But You uh, talked about that in the last thing. Yeah, but it's notable because Isabelle Huppert uh, gave interviews before she got COVID uh, and couldn't make it. Oh. She has confirmed she's going to be in the next Francois Ozon film, which is exciting. Uh, she already starred in a film of his called Eight Women, uh, which is a
0: great, a, a fantastic, entertaining musical from two thousand two. Speaking of her, she was supposed to receive some sort of lifetime achievement award, the honorary Golden Bear for lifetime achievement, and she and they did like a retrospective, and then she was going to show up, but then Isabel, uh, as I call her, uh-huh. uh, is uh, she had COVID, yeah, so she had to do the acceptance speech via like Zoom satellite, or whatever yeah. satellite. She looked good, so I, I'm assuming she's not very ill. She looked good, but I heard that the interview she's supposed
1: to give, the the interviewer was prepped with like not talking about the years of any of the films that were made. like Nothing that would denote her age, per se. <laughs> so I don't know if she's getting to that stage. I think maybe.
0: she faked it. I think she didn't want to show up. At, uh... There were
1: several, though. Isabella Johnny couldn't come because she had COVID. Hannah Shagula, Uh There were quite a few. All right, and then a project called The Immensity. Uh, Penelope Cruz is going to star in The Immensity. It's uh, by Emmanuel Creales, who's unfamiliar with their previous film Terra Firma from 2011. But I like Penelope. You know, she's just nominated for an Oscar
0: for Parallel Mothers. And then something called fucking identical twins. Oh
1: my god, this sounds fucking weird and exciting. But uh, it's an A twenty four project that Larry Charles, who you know as uh, the director of the of the first Borat and Seinfeld uh, and uh, anyway and and, and Curb Your Enthusiasm, I believe, right? Oh, Oh, Larry David. Oh, that. But you said Larry Charles. Yeah, Larry Charles. Didn't Larry Charles
0: direct Larry David in Curb
1: Your Enthusiasm?
0: A person named Larry Charles directed Larry David. I think that's funny, <laughs> but <laughs> he... I don't know that to be true. Um, anyway, it's going to star
1: Megan the stallion of course, which oh, is I of...
0: saw a, a
1: BuzzFeed thing about that and opposite Nathan Lane, Bowen yang, Megan Mulally uh, I think that's going to be amazing. <laughs> that sounds like a shit show. that's going to be fun uh, yeah, Kirby he's the producer on Kirby and Oh, Judaism. producer.
0: Oh, I wanted to talk... There were a couple of comments about... I'm going to talk about this for a second because I have to pause the audio anyway. And he directed that. Yeah, I, that was, I was right, yeah. There were a couple of comments over a, cou- a few videos about me not knowing certain... Yes, I want... Well, yes, I want to talk about this because we're going to move on to the obituary section. But several comments in the last week over several videos about me not knowing certain shows. And I think I wanted to say, like... It's a very um, white American attitude to look at a person of color or any non-white person and assume that they are as invested in like these bastions of white American culture as you are. Mm -hmm. So I've never watched Seinfeld or Friends. Or like done there there are a lot of things I haven't done and then it's like but you can look at my black ass or you're gonna look at some Asian lady or you're gonna look at some Latina lady or whatever and then be like, How could you not know this? How how do you not know Steely Dan? Like, what? Like, how... <laughs> well, like, that,
1: that's when you should fire back and say things like, what, how do you know live, uh, living single? Do you well, not-
0: that's what I always say. Like, when people go, like, how could you not know this? Because the implication is, like, so you think that throughout my at childhood I was just sitting there, like, being mute and dumb? Or, what?" like, no. It should be like, oh, well, what did you watch this kid? And then also it's, like, musical references. Like, people are always... Even you do this to me, like, you don't know this person that's like... Well, oh, wait,
1: I, hold it. I do that when I'm, like... We've had several conversations about this person. You know them by now, but...
0: Sure. Okay, maybe, but...
1: As in the obituary section that's about to come up, I
0: was... (laughs) Okay, but you, you always mistake... Like, when I say I don't know something, it's that if you were to ask me who this person is, I couldn't tell you. But then you start rattling off all their projects. It's like, oh, I've seen that movie, but I couldn't tell you who directed it. But I think, yeah, it's just like... So you're not the best example then, sure. But... When people do that with music it's like well i didn't grow up listening to that kind of music so you're like it just it's annoying because it's like well i listened to other things growing up i wasn't just sitting in a soundproof booth my mm-hmm. entire life and yes we did own several televisions like i was watching things but maybe i'm watching things that i found representation in maybe i liked watching <laughs> shows that had brown people in them like that's why i don't know a lot of other things because while y'all were watching Friends or whatever, I was watching... Well, first of all, well, yes. Like, I was watching shows with black people in it. That was my preference.
1: Yeah. I always think of the the OJ uh, trial with the jury members wanting to watch
0: Martin versus Seinfeld. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would rather watch Martin living single, in living color. Like, just anything with black people in it. So... And that would go for anyone. Like, don't talk to your Asian friend about... So, you know, like maybe ask them, what did they enjoy? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because that should be the opportunity to be like, what
1: don't I know about? Because that's what's interesting about talking to
0: people. Oh, I have another thing I want to talk about. But let's pause for one second. Mm -hmm. Bathroom break. And we're back. Mm. (laughs) My bladder's empty. Uh... No, another thing I wanted to talk about related to that is I had to attend sort of a di- racial diversity, like, webinar. hmm Oh, webinars. Which I was looking forward to because, I, you know, like, it's something that di- impacts me directly and I feel like I can always learn something. But, you know, the quality of these things are... I'm always a little dubious, like, who's doing this? And then... <laughs> When it came on and then one of the presenters was this white lady, I was like, uh, what is happening here? But there were two black women, a black man, and a white woman. Mm-hmm. And it was 90 minutes. hmm And that shit was excellent. Okay. It was excellent. Um, I'm actually going to rewatch it, and I think I want to write some things down and talk about it. But, oh, just so many, like, nuggets and so many, like, examples and... Uh, But I think just thinking about the whole, like, people assuming that, like, how could I not know an episode of Seinfeld? But something that one person said was, well, so one, the the gentleman used an analogy of, like, saying that we need to have empathy. Well, he said we need to have empathy for one another, which is something I always think, like. Like, 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 like the way to get along with people is to understand where they come from. So just because you're conservative or you voted for Trump or you like to have guns or you have a Confederate flag, like, you're not automatically my enemy. Like, I don't look at you that way because there's a, there's a reason behind that. And maybe you don't have the same association or connection to... And I know you, that you don't have the same connections to certain topics as I do. So just because I'm very passionate about, like... I don't know, like supporting black trans women. It's like, but that's because I'm a black queer person who lives in a big city and has known many people, so it feels real to me. But if you're like some, you know, middle-aged man in the Midwest who has no had no exposure, it's not necessarily that you don't care. It's just like that's not part of your like worldview. Mm-hmm. So talking about empathy in that way, um, which is what Dave Chappelle. Uh, talks about sure and i very much agree with and then he used the analogy of like he has a kid who's um you know like six or seven and one you know like his kid woke him up in the middle of the night scared saying there's a monster under my bed and because he was trying to explain that i know people are going to push back at what i'm saying to say that you know i can't change their beliefs And he's like, that's not what empathy is. Like, you can still have your beliefs and then try to understand other people. So he was like, when my son comes and wakes me up in the middle of the the night saying there's a monster under his bed, it's like, well, I don't believe in monsters and I know there's not a monster under his bed, but but I go with him to check under his bed to get him back to, to sleep as an act of empathy. Like, this can help him. It's not taking away from me, except maybe my damn sleep. But if I resolve this issue, he won't wake me up again. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I'm showing him care and concern, empathy, and I'm not compromising my beliefs. And I thought that was a really good analogy. Then another character talked about... A character. Another presenter. (laughs) Sorry, I'm thinking of... We're talking about movies. Another presenter talked about... Like, she... Well, actually, it was the same gentleman. He presented um, books that he recommend people read about different uh, ethnicities and races, just and encouraging people to do that work. But then there was a younger woman, a younger black woman, on the thing, and she was basically like, "Listen, I know that it's a it, it's a big ask, you person over here who doesn't even think about different people to go get these books and read them." So something she said that really struck a chord with me was. She said, why don't you seek out this information in entertainment? Like, mm-hmm. if you don't feel like reading a book, why don't you watch a Netflix series that features a predominantly black cast? And then that way you're exposed to maybe like, because it'll be entertaining... It'll be funny. You'll probably really enjoy it. And then you'll see a way of life that is different from what you're accustomed to. And that is a good way to get a better understanding. And I had never thought of it that way. But it's so interesting because I think I'm very well acclimated to white American culture. Well, be the, be, because I'm, you be, have to be. Because I'm immersed in it. It, it. Well, not I don't want to say it like.
1: It, I think as a survival skill, it's like.
0: I think I agree. As a survival skill, I'm the type of. POC who felt like I needed to acclimate in a way and then I just code switch but And I think all of us do that to some degree, right? Like as a white gay male Mm -hmm. You do that when you're around straight men, Mm -hmm. right? Like you might sort of tone down whatever we all do it to a degree but I guess like I just never thought like yeah, that's an excellent way to get an understanding but that—that's what cinema is. That's what cinema is. That's what literature is. Yeah. But uh, like, I don't think I ever—and I—and I have articulated these words, but I don't think I ever thought about it as a tool for people. Like, hey, you don't need to do all this work. You don't need to like go join BLM and march if that's too much for you. Like, but what you can do—too much. Well, but but it is for some people. That's such a huge leap. Like, I don't sure, even, there are people who there are people I know. Who I think wouldn't be comfortable around a large group of black people. Mm -hmm. But they don't necessarily like hate black people. They just don't have a comfort level. You
1: know, it's it's a pity because I think it starts... Our education system is such shit. And you're constantly reading about schools, uh, administrations, banning books and blah, blah, blah. It really is children at a young age getting to experience that empathy... um, I remember clearly in The Breakfast Club watching Charlemagne the God interview Melissa McCarthy and she was all like glowing that he had read Judy Bloom, right? And he said his mother was a teacher and she taught him you have to be interested in things that don't um, pertain to you. you." And I I think that's the key. And I think as a kid, you know, I was using it to escape like unhappiness at home, but I buried myself in books. Like how I do with film now is in books and voraciously. And... I think that was what, you know, I I was a fourth grader reading, you know, V.C. Anderson, Stephen King, but also like Maya Angelou and and Toni Morrison. And those things had profound effects on me in a developmental stage. And I'm not saying that, I'm just saying that I think it it helps, because I grew up in a predominantly very white northern Minnesota area. Uh, I think that you can experience so many things and kids are so much more able to be open to things and understand more than I think we give them credit for
0: well that's what's encouraging even, even, even though I think there's no hope for the future and this planet's a dumpster fire I do feel like what is encouraging is uh, you know related to what you said about young people being exposed because I think nowadays young people are more exposed even if not geographically they have access to the internet Plus social media yeah, social yeah. media so you know a, a little white kid interacting with you know, other races, other ethnicities, you know, in, the, in relation to like United States is much easier, much more common. It's just that... And then what things that we consider like, like if we're talking about black people, like black cult, like black American culture is actually pop culture now. Yeah. So I think there's a comfortability.
1: There's a comfortability, but it's very superficial. Like, it is. Like a kid watching, you know, uh, Cardi B or Nicki Minaj and liking their music and like a little white kid is not really, you know, the same... Ex- getting really a, an idea well, of, of their experience. Yes,
0: you're correct, but I do think it has impact because of course it has impact, but yeah, I, it it just is at a surface level in some regard. But it's like if you have a little kid who likes Megan the Stallion, if, if there's some little 10-year-old white girl who likes Megan the Stallion even though she shouldn't be listening to those lyrics. Right. <laughs> it's it's like seeing that image all mm, of a sudden it's powerful. is powerful because then all of a sudden maybe her interactions with people in school and then maybe she like it's being able to see others yes but well but but being like being comfortable around others you know one of my favorite comedians Patrice O'Neal who you like as well I love Patrice O'Neal He O'Neill. has a bit where he talks about you have to know how to talk to black women mm-hmm. and then he's doing this thing where he's being very rude to this black woman yeah. like like <laughs> like bitch you can't even like he's trying to hit on this woman at the bus stop and he's like bitch you can't even put your wig on right and then they start fighting and then he says something like I'm not afraid of you oh no there's someone in the audience heckling him mm-hmm. Saying, like, he should, he was making like misogynistic comments, and this woman's heckling him, and it was a a, like a heavy set black woman. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Oh, so you think I'm supposed to be scared of you because you're a fat black bitch? Like, my mama was a big black woman. And I thought, like, I always think about that as like, it's so important to see people as like people. And I know that's a very harsh, inappropriate way to think about it. But I think what he was trying to say was like, I see you, mm-hmm. you're demystified to me. Like this, this thing that society has placed on you. That's supposed to like, uh, deter me mm-hmm. is not a thing. Like you get in loud with me, and whatever the fuck you think you're doing right now, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Like we can let, like we can communicate. And that's kind of how I feel about exposure to like a lot of urban hip hop artists and uh, among other types of people related to like white American children and families. Like seeing these people, seeing different body types, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, seeing I mean, Jennifer Lopez and Beyonce's bodies and well, having that be sort of a standard of beauty has really helped a lot of people. Well, and for older women, like Emma Thompson has this like
1: very vulnerable naked scene in this new film. Um, Good luck to you, Leo Grand, which I saw it's out of Sundance, but she was at the press conference in Berlin. It played there, and she said it's the hardest thing she ever did as an actress or as a a woman just standing there looking at her body because she's
0: she's been conditioned to believe that everything is wrong with her body. And... (sighs) Well, I looked at my... You know, I never look at myself naked because I just hate the way my body looks. And... The other day, I don't know what possessed me, but now like our bedroom is very different than our previous bedroom. And I had, I was holding a big handheld mirror Mm -hmm. because I was trying to trim the back of my hair and I went into our bedroom and we have this tall standing mirror Mm -hmm. and I did something I never ever do, which is I looked at myself from the back Mm -hmm. and it was like, it was very interesting to think that, like... I mean, I'm not going to say I was happy with what I saw, but... but it Next was, step. But it was very interesting to think, like... This is, like, half of my body mm-hmm. that I don't ever look at. Mm-hmm. Because I don't like how I look. So I just ignore this part of my body. And then I think, like, I'm too... You know, like, I just think all these things. Yeah, but, that, that but, we're told is wrong. But yeah. it's important, like, to see and normalize, like... Yeah, that no one's body is perfect and we all covet these things. And then just having some familiarity with hair and makeup and television and like, very few people are close to perfect. Very few. Very, very few. And even the ones who... And what's
1: perfect? Well, but
0: you know, all the things people want, like this body type and this skin and the hair and the feet and the teeth. And it's like, even the people with better attributes, they're not perfect there's still some, some magic that's happening behind the scenes and that's a very small percentage. Most of the people we see on TV and in in, in imagery, assets on social media, all that, that shit is beyond fake. Mm-hmm. It is beyond fake. It's like you're wearing all of the makeup, all of the wigs, and all of the eyelashes, that, that's and I, you have a filter. That's what I mean by how
1: social media has changed things but also at a very superficial level. There's There's a humanity that's kind of Lacking, if that is the only way you experience. Well, and it's wild
0: to think, like seeing a woman of Emma Thompson's age and body, like being nude, is like so impactful. Mm -hmm. It it makes sense to me why it's impactful, but it's like it shouldn't be.
1: Or if you think of like Kathy Bates and about Schmidt, or your the thing you just said about the mirror reminded me of Fried Green Tomatoes and her looking at her vagina. Um, You know, I told you it was a a women's studies minor. and they had in several classes that was somebody came in was showing uh, women how to, you know, properly look at their genitals and how most of the people, you know, these are college age girls in their 20s. Uh, nobody looked at their genitals.
0: Yeah. So anyway, I, it was just very interesting. And I think we could all do better. Like I, I you know, I'm not very well read and. I do watch a lot of movies, so I think I'm exposed to things that way, which is helpful. Mm-hmm. But I just bought you a book in Berlin. Yep, more things in the house. But it was, come on, that was a good, that was interesting, right? I will make a public plea again. I don't want, I, I, <laughs> I don't want more options. I just want nicer things. I don't want more things. But yes, the book you bought me was very thoughtful um, and a good choice mm-hmm. for, like, if I wanted more things, yes. But thank you. It's called... On Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. It's some journalist who's sort of... I think it's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist from the New York Times. Yeah, who wrote an essay about Michael, like the life of Michael Jackson, and which from just reading the description, it sounds like she's sort of uh, attempting to humanize this villain. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, I haven't read it yet. But um, yeah, so... Moving on, we talked a lot. So there is an entry in the obituary section, which you alluded to uh, as someone who I don't know. So I I know the name Ivan Reitman. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have named films he directed. Would I have known he was a director? Probably. Mm-hmm. Definitely couldn't have named any movies. Which is wild because he directed Ghostbusters. I, could, I wouldn't have known that at all. Um, but... What do you want to say about? I I don't know this man. He was
1: seventy five. Um, I think it made me sad. I read this while I was uh, not home, and it made me sad because you know Sigourney is what seventy one, seventy two, and it's like you know it's a reminder of mortality. mortality and um you know he was involved. I believe he produced his son directed the new the Ghostbusters Afterlife film. Okay, which is you know we just kind of reviewed not that long ago, which is why I was surprised that you didn't retain anything about that name. Um. But yeah, he directed three movies. You're surprised? Well, I'm surprised because you, what your mind clings to and what it freely gives away. Freely gives away. Uh, into freely the, gives away. Okay. Into the, what freely evaporates into the ether, uh, which is fine. You know, you can't retain everything. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a director from my youth. of Like, like a, a ton of very interesting, fun movies in the 80s and early 90s. Well, you have a top five. I don't want to make it seem like... I think that he
0: was fun. These are five projects that stick out to you. Yeah, of course, Ghostbusters. So, Ghostbusters, which I need to rewatch. Okay. Uh, Kindergarten Cop. Kindergarten Cop with Arnold and uh, Pamela Reed
1: and Penelope Ann Miller and Did we re- Did we rewatch that? Carol Baker. <laughs>
0: did we rewatch that? Not in a long time. So, we I for sure watched it when it came out in the drive-in theater with my parents. Mhm. Um, next is Dave. With Sigourney and Kevin Klein. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Um I... Where he plays the, pre- the, the... Did you show me that movie? Yeah, we okay, watched... Okay, so I've seen it with you. Yeah. Twins is with Danny DeVito. And Arnold. And, um, uh, I think Kelly
1: Preston, if I remember correctly. Uh who's We also, also did... saw that when it came out in the drive-in theater. There was a, a sequel that was meant to be made for years called Triplets. With Eddie Murphy. With Eddie Murphy and Tracy Morgan involved, too, and... I don't know what that's going what's going to happen to that now. And Lastly Junior. I mean, with Arnold as the pregnant man.
0: Oh, you know, <laughs> I think we might have watched that in The Drive-In theater <laughs> With with
1: Emma Thompson as the love interest and Danny DeVito. Well, goodbye to this man. Mhm. I didn't really like his his last three. I think as a film critic, the only film I've like reviewed of his was Draft Day with Kevin Costner. Uh, But uh, No Strings Attached with Natalie Portman, My Super Ex-Girlfriend, and then
0: Evolution. Kind of like almost a Ghostbusters remake with Julianne Moore. All right. So our film selection for today was inspired by (coughs) Single Black (coughs) Female, which was our last episode. Oh, yeah. We
1: still haven't talked
0: about that. (laughs) Because I had so much fun watching it and talking about it that I thought another Lifetime movie um, would be fun to talk about with you. So I saw the I I saw the poster for Vanished, Searching for My Sister, which is another Lifetime movie starring Tatiana Ali. It also features Jasmine Guy, who's a favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and we watched it this morning, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, it was not as fun. It's not fun, but it's not it's and it and it, it well when I no it's not fun the the story is you know tragic but. No, I meant, like, <laughs> it's not even fun to talk about, like, because it's, like, it's just, because it's not that bad. It's yeah. it's not great, it's not good, but it's not, like, a train wreck. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so the basic story is Tatiana Ali plays twins, mm-hmm. Kayla and Jada. Mm-hmm. Jada. So, like, Jada's the good twin, Kayla's the bad twin, because Jada's, like, single working mom, responsible, and Kayla's, like, also a single mom, but, like. Druggy, like seems to get into trouble. Okay. We find out Kayla has gone missing. And after several days, Jada goes to the police because her sister has had a habit of sort of running out and, you and know, she has as a child and she has a child who Jada has to watch. So she, this has, this is not the first time that she's run off. So she doesn't immediately contact the police, but after like four or five days, she goes to the police and the detective assisting her is played by Jasmine Guy. And it's a very basic story. We find out that, well, the, the bulk of the film is Jada masquerading as Kayla in like, this nightlife scene that Kayla was involved in trying to get answers. Which ultimately lead her to Kayla's ex-husband, mm-hmm. who she has the kid with, who Jada's watching while her sister's missing. It's the ex-husband who killed her. And then we see him get arrested and go to prison, the end. But her
1: life come, uh, unraveled. She gets fired from she work. She's fired from her
0: job. Like, she that, has no money. You
1: know, even saying it out loud, it, it's an interesting concept. Like, this twin kind of going into this... It is. This hellish... This underbelly of society to find her sister. I'm glad
0: you said that because the opening of the film says it's based on actual events. And after watching it, I'm like, well, what's so remarkable about this story that it's based on actual events... Or that, that they chose to make a film, but now it makes sense that I think it's the twin component and how she masqueraded as her sister, but I feel like it's not executed in a way that feels that interesting. No, not at all. But um, I can just go through my notes. Okay. The opening of the film is, the, are the twins interacting? And mm-hmm. that's the only time we see both of them together. Mm-hmm. I actually thought Tatiana Ali did a good job with the material. She was okay. For what it was, I, I thought the opening scene was okay. I
1: think she, she can't really overcome some of this writing. No. No. Uh, the, it, notably, it was written by Christina Welsh, uh, who wrote the adaptation of Zane's, is it Addiction, with Sharon Leal, that Billy Woodruff directed... That, oh. er, that erotic. Um... Did
0: she also write? What else is that person written? She's a white lady. Uh, Did she addicted? Lo- sorry, no. But what? Go down her filmography as writer. Oh, I was thinking. I've seen her name elsewhere, but no. Okay, so Warren, Kayla's ex-husband who killed her. There's a scene where. Well, first of all, like I, your baby's mom is missing, mm-hmm. and your daughter is with her auntie her auntie and you don't think to like take your daughter i thought that was no funny. he left her with her like, yeah oh, like okay. you don't like wait so your baby's mom is gone and your daughter is with someone else and you and she's there with you and you don't think to keep her like <laughs> you know because then he says his mo for killing her was that she was kind of ruining his life and potentially like like keeping him from his daughter so I would think like now that you the mom is dead, why wouldn't you just take your daughter? Why right. would you let the sister keep her? I thought that was so dumb. Okay, so the two dete- so Jasmine Guy's like the main detective, but she has a partner. Carolyn Hennessy,
1: who has a Sharon Osborne hairdo. That
0: lady looks like Sharon Osborne. Yeah. And her acting, I think, is interesting. <laughs> there is
1: no characterization. It's no. just
0: her looking cranky and stern. Yeah, stern and like shouting these lines. Okay, Jasmine Guy. We have to talk about Jasmine Guy. I like Jasmine Guy. But... I... You know, A Different World is one of my favorite television shows. And Jasmine Guy as Whitley is iconic. I, I just loved her so much on that show. And she was so beautiful. And then her only album, a self-titled album, I still play to this day. And my sister um, always laughs because I used to play Jasmine Guy's album and Tisha Cal- Campbell's album all the time. And my sister would be like, I think you're the only person who bought these albums. <laughs> but that's not true. Jasmine Guy's album, I believe, went double platinum. It was a, like a decent R&B hit. But I remember her being on
1: whats his Name show and him hitting on her really
0: awkwardly. Arsenio voice. Hall. Uh, yes. And then, of course, she was in uh, Harlem Nights with him. But yeah. I just thought she was so smart and beautiful. And I know she's done things since then. She's I... in that new series, Harlem. Yep, and she, uh, I, I know she did some stuff with Tupac's mom, like Afini Shakur, I believe her name, like mm-hmm. helping her write stuff. And then she's done a lot of stage acting. She's a very talented singer dancer. Um, and then I know she was on some other long running show, The Vampire Diaries. No, where she plays like a, a cop, Grey's Anatomy. No, it, it, <laughs> she... it, No, it it's not a well known Oh, but Your but friend, it was is you know, it older. Look up her, um, is it, qu- is it the is it the qua the quad or the Casey Undercover? Casey Undercover is that it? I don't, I don't know. know. Anyway, I'm happy to see her. She has the you know her face has changed over the years. You know she she looked like a, a real person in that role. Well, she's always sort of had like what people would I guess call like resting bitch face, mm-hmm. but I think with age you know that doesn't age very well. But I, I agree with you. She has a very like real aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But um, she has the perfect face for this, this, like, these types of characters because she's very stern. <laughs> like just
1: looking at her, I'm like, oh, she, that's a good detective. It's just too bad that this isn't a good
0: vehicle. Right. Okay. Jada's ex, because she's also a single mom, her ex can't dress. Every outfit he had on looked like what the fuck are you wearing? That orange hat. Yeah. And what do you do for work? Like, like, what is this? Are you a fashion photographer or a banker or like what the Tyrell? Yeah. He dressed horribly. Um, Okay, so Jada goes to. She finds out that her sister was hanging out at some like strip club place called Diamond Sky, I believe. And Jada goes, dressed up as her sister, which basically amounts to her wearing her sister's wig. Which and, and she has those things that are around her eye. Yeah. But I was reading um, about the film, and the guy who plays Warren, he gave an interview to like some news outlet about the film saying how impressed he was with Tatiana Ali and how she transforms into these two characters and how the very first time he met her as Kayla... He didn't even recognize her. And I'm like, I call bullshit. Because they look exact. They're twins. They just have... One has one worse wig than the other. And yeah, one has like... They they both kind of have not great wigs. And they both have the same texture and color <laughs> of wig. Except one's longer than the other. Yeah, And one has like red highlights in it. But it's like... How could you not recognize Tatiana Ali is playing... <laughs> I, I thought that was corny, but... Um, there's somebody she credit, goes, oh, go ahead. credited as crackhead mom. Crackhead mom. But anyway, Jada's at the club, like approaching people. That wasn't very well. It's not good. It's not well. It's not good. And then there's a scene where she they they finally call her out because one of the guys recognizes that she's not Kayla. And the she basically like in front of all these people who seem to sort of have like nefarious dealings, or maybe like they're not good people. She's like, I'm gonna call the cops on y'all. Like, girl. They all just,
1: and they have no, they just stared at her dumbfounded. But all those club scenes are too
0: well lit. Like yeah. People are doing coke, like, under these. these Very bright lights. Like, it's not. In a, in, a, in a sparsely populated uh, venue. Okay, so the guy at the club who calls her out as being not Kayla, he ends up showing up at her house like he's going to kill her. He's like, you couldn't leave it alone. Which was so stupid because this man shows up at her house like he's going to kill her. And then she holds like a knife at him. And he's like, oh, so you want to know about your sister? Well, come with me. And then he takes her to like this drug lord's den. Mm -hmm. And the drug lord just tells her like, yeah, (laughs) we were at a party. It was my bitch. And then your your sister with some guy who said he was her husband. And that's when we find out it was Warren. And that they went back to their place. And it sounds like they were having like an orgy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then... The, the drug lord says, oh, your sister seemed like she was fucked up, like she had been roofied, so I just left. And Kayla's like, or Jada's like, you knew my sister was like not okay and you just left her? I'm going to call the cops. <laughs> and that guy's like, you will do no such thing. You're going to get the hell out of here now. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know why. That part of the story is so stupid. I don't know why this bad guy like what reason he would have to go to Jada's house to like kill her like he's not responsible for her death neither is the drug lord why do they care about this girl i think they were then, just intimidating why were he, but, but for what reason like I, they aren't involved in her death and then him taking her to the drug lord's house like for what reason um then um so Jada the, the main storyline is her trying to figure out what happened to her sister, so she, when she realizes that Warren, the ex-husband, was the last person to see her, she breaks into his house, and mm-hmm. she finds evidence that he saw her, like, a check that she had been mm-hmm. given, and then she also finds, like, blood mm-hmm. in his, like, mattress. And she goes back to the mm-hmm. detectives, and they are acting like they don't understand that, like, this, her breaking and entering and whatever she found in there is not, like, suitable for getting a warrant mm-hmm. I thought that was really really poorly written then agree. Jada keeps telling Jasmine Guy's character that like she doesn't care about her sister like she's, she's not fully invested in the case and then finally we get a revelation Jasmine Guy's character has a framed picture that looks like the kind of picture that comes with the frame and it's of this blonde white lady in like a wedding gown and she basically says that that's her
1: ex. She goes this picture was taken 15 years ago in California.
0: Yeah, 15 years ago in California. And she went missing and she's been she never gave up and is still looking for her so she knows what it feels like. So, I was expecting her to say like and I can't make time to find her cuz I got to look for your goddamn sister. Right. Um The ending is so anticlimactic because it's supposed to be like, you know, all these movies have that same like silence of the lambs, like final scene in the house. So Jada's in the house with Warren and, or Warren comes over to her house to, I guess, kill her and take his daughter. And then they get into a very, very (laughs) minor scuffle. And then Jada just hits him in the head with what looks like a bowl. And that's it. He's done. That's like, that's it. Police come. Take him and then he get we see him in prison. But it's sort of made to seem like he might like there might not be enough evidence to prove he killed her. But then this dum dumb in prison is trying to get some other prisoner to like have Jada killed. On the outside. Yeah. On the outside. And that prisoner get like tells law enforcement. Which seals his fate. Like he's for sure going to be in prison for many years. The end. And then the end credits has this music that's so laughable. It's (laughs) This one was a fail. I feel bad because I wanted to find it entertaining. You haven't talked about Tretch. Oh, Tretch from Naughty by Nature. Who used to date Peppa from Salt and Peppa. And uh, who used to do porn after... uh, Naughty by nature kind of fell off. Oh, I didn't who know was that. Tretch was also a part of Flavor Unit uh, management, which is Queen Latifah, noted lesbian. So it all comes together. <laughs> but um, he did what kind of porn? Like straight porn. Oh, okay. Yeah, but he's featured in porn. But anyway, Tretch is in the film as like this like bad guy who <laughs> whose name is Koogie. Coogie. not Coogi, like the sweater. C O O G I. Yeah. Oh, that might be Coogi. You know, well, I thought they said Coogie. They, they said coogie. I But
1: maybe I misheard. Anyway. But also, the sub, you had subtitles on, right? No. See, they said Coogie then.
0: Yeah, they said Because I'm looking at the... Which reminds me of Corgi. Yeah. But any... Oh, so the opening of the film is uh, Kayla asking Jada for money. She needs $2,000 for this apartment. And Jada's like, wait, how did you get an apartment without the deposit first? Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, the, the, the fucking leasing manager or whomever... She's a single mom. She understood. Like, this makes no sense. So Jada writes her a check for two Gs. And then we find out she really needed the two Gs to pay Treach's character, Koogie. And he confronts her <laughs> like with this awful, uh, what do you call that, like, not a I always want to say Fu Manchu, but I don't know if that's correct. But <laughs> That's not. Is that racist? I don't know. Yes. I don't, well, I, I apologize. But he has this awful facial hair and he's threatening her. Like, what a weird role. Like, yeah, he, he has nothing to do. He also shows up at her house and plays back to with both her kids menacingly outside. And then her ex-husband, who's, again, dressed like a damn fool, shows up and then Tretch like, speeds off. But anyway, that's that for this film. Do you have anything else to say about it? No, uh, next
1: week's selection I will be choosing. though.
0: No? you, yeah, yeah. I had a miss, so. Oh no, it's not a miss. Now Nick will let it's me a, choose again. No, we're
1: supposed to. Do I know it we're the other supposed week. to alternate. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's just inevitable. I was just, you know, I I want us to choose films I think people will find entertaining. I do. Do you? Yes. Like how you'd have movie nights and try to do double features of these arduous films no one's heard of. Well, th- from your perspective. <laughs> And then forcing people to sit there for five hours.
1: I never said they couldn't leave. Oh, she can't leave. (laughs) Anybody anybody could leave if they want to. My God.
0: Uh, Jenny, final words? This podcast is super long. No. No, we'll talk more about Berlin. Yeah, we'll have a video about your films. Well, that's all I have. Okay. Ta-ta. Bye. I do 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 do